Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Ignite Talks podcast. On today's episode, I have Nathan Luff, who is an author, but he's also done a little bit of teaching as well. I connected with Nathan through a writing workshop that he ran for some of our high ability students at our school. What I really loved about him was just his approach to writing. Obviously, he is an author, but just his love and his passion for writing really shone through in the workshop. The workshop was fantastic as well because he did have really good insight to, as as a writer, he had a really good insight and he was also able to provide students with meaningful feedback and pose questions to improve their writing, which I thought was really valuable. And during the workshop too, because he has that teaching background, he was able to understand the intricacies of teaching and how it's not all about just slabs of information. He did give them the time to write and craft and practice their the skill of writing, which was really cool too. Also need to just make a quick note that we did this or we recorded this podcast through Zoom, which um, for those listening, it's actually the first time I've ever recorded a podcast through Zoom. So while the conversation was incredible, there was a little part of me during it in the back of my mind that was a little nervous. Um, hoping that the recording just did its thing but I would like to just apologize if it's a little bit difficult to hear through the recording on zoom and there might be a little bit of noise in the background as there were kids playing outside of the classroom as I was recording this with Nathan it was a really good chat with Nathan he was able to give a lot of insight into the world of being a published author uh, his books that he's written chicken stew bad grammar and nerd herd series which all involve a little part of himself in each of the main characters as he'll explain. He just gives a really good insight as to what it is like to be an author, but also what it's like to be a teacher in a school trying to teach writing, which is his passion and some of the challenges and constraints that come along with that. Have a listen to this episode. Like I said, I really enjoyed having a chat with Nathan. He provides a lot of good insight into not only teaching, but also the process of publishing your own book as well. Have a listen, let me know what you think. If you have any questions or feedback, hit us up below. And as always, you can check us out on Instagram at ignitetalks.podcast. But now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome Nathan. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. So today we have Nathan Luff, who is an author. But I guess before we get into that side of things, we'll start with what are you watching on Netflix at the moment? I'm actually watching Is It Cake, which is the best show. Is It <laughs> Cake? They, What's that Is on? It Cake? It's on Netflix and it's my son actually put me onto it. So they, they make things that look like everyday objects and yep. the judges have to come on and pick which one of them is actually cake. So it's, <laughs> I have seen that actually because they're they're the ones where they make the cakes and it looks. Sometimes yeah. I see them; they pop up on my um, social media feed, and I actually can't tell if it's a cake or yeah. The and the judges are a little bit further back, so you know yeah. you can't really see the finer details, and it's yeah. quite addictive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't believe they've made that into a show. That's that's so cool. It's, we live in the world now where anything crazy like that, like when they turned um, The Floor is Lava into a TV show, like yeah, all these games and yeah. things we do, it's like brilliant. The simplest yeah. <laughs> simplest of ideas. As as a kid, I would never imagine that something as silly as The Floor is Lava could be a 
reality game show sort of thing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you reading at the moment? I'm actually reading um, Jacqueline Moriarty's The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere, which is okay. part of her Kingdoms and Empires uh, series. All right. So I'm actually, not familiar I, with that. Yeah, I I um, cottoned on to Jacqueline Moriarty years ago with um, some fantasy books that she'd written that they're very hard to find now. And I love her um, voice. She's got this really quirky um, voice to nearly everything she writes. And so yeah. these have just become popular because they were being shortlisted for the CBCA awards along the way. And so, yeah, very addictive, very, um, they're fantasy, but yeah. with a sort of a quirky edge. No, that that's good because as when when I was um, jotting down some notes for this, I I did think, well, what do authors what do authors read? Like, do do they read their own stuff, or do they prefer if they're like um, a fiction author? Do they prefer reading nonfiction, or what do do you have I, a preference? Yeah. Yourself? Well, I, I went through a phase where I was, I guess, before I was really publishing, where I was reading a lot of young adult stuff because I never read young adult. When I was a young adult, I went straight from kids fiction to adult fiction, you know, very quickly. Because I don't, well, I mean, there was stuff around, but it was about, I guess I didn't have the best librarians who were pointing out what was there. And then as an adult, I discovered all this amazing young adult stuff, especially speculative fiction, which is some of my favourite stuff to read. And and you're right, I don't usually read in the genre that I write which is yeah. a little odd, um, but it tends to be the case. But I do read a lot of um, kids' fiction just purely because I enjoy a, a good story is a good story. Um, yeah. But then I also I have a, an eight-year-old son now, and so he opened my world to junior fiction yeah. a lot more. So I started to read a lot of that. But I, I'm, I'm a voracious reader that will you yeah. know, pretty much read I think, anything. I think I'll, I'd be surprised if um, a publisher or an author isn't an avid reader, you know, like... Um, just with all the ideas in in their own stories, if they weren't reading others themselves, I mm. guess yeah, it would probably yeah, and it's yeah. true. But the trick as an adult is finding the time to read, yep. especially these days with with Netflix, with all of this streaming material. Because I mean, I love stories in general, so there's so yeah. many ways to um, to uh, consume stories that yeah, absolutely back to the book and and. Sometimes if you, especially if you're, I'm part of a book club and, and we're yet to find a book that we all <laughs> enjoy. So oh, really? You're reading, yeah. you're, you're reading stuff that you don't even like. Um, but when you do read a good book, you're reminded, oh, this is better than anything else. Yeah. Like this is really transportative. And I guess it'd probably make for a really good discussion and at a book club though, if people don't enjoy the same, if people have mixed reviews on the, on the book, because then that sort of adds more rich discussion through the book yeah. club, which is what. I guess you're you're there for whereas no, if everyone enjoyed it then it'd be like oh yeah it's the same cool. if everyone doesn't like it it's like yeah. let's crap move on <laughs> yeah. so yeah you you, you want to have the the yeah. drama <laughs> yeah of course the, yeah, the, the debate so Nathan um, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself uh, you grew up in Yass New South Wales did I pronounce that right you did yeah yes uh, it's it's in rural New South Wales not too far from Canberra so my dad is a sheep and cattle farmer. Yep. And I grew up there as one of five boys. And we were a little bit out of town, so quite isolated in a way. And when it came to school holidays and things like that, we just had each other. We never really saw our friends during those holidays. But yep. the farm was such a, a wonderland of, you know, things you could do, um, all driven, you know, by your imagination. Yeah, absolutely. So then, yeah. So so I actually I think it was a fantastic place to grow up but I was telling someone recently that 
you know, your world is just your world and, and it just seems common to you. It's not until you go outside of it that you realize, I guess, the value of your experience and your yeah, stories. Yeah. So when I, I went to Bathurst, which is not the big smoke, but to me felt like the big smoke for university. Oh, yeah. And, but there were a lot of people there from Sydney. And when I started to tell them all of my stories from my childhood, many of which involve dead animals, they were just, <laughs> you know, they were yeah. so um, intrigued and I, and I developed my skills as a storyteller as well as I would, you know, craft yeah. these into, you know, these great, interesting stories. I, I would think it, that was when I really realized that, yeah, I, ha- yeah. I have, you know, this, what felt to me just this normal farm upbringing was yeah. um, a great source of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, hearing, hearing you the other week saying about that, that same idea about um, always enjoying telling stories are sort of seemed natural to i guess go down the path of publishing writing or stories um as as an author but was that ever the dream like did you ever Uh, imagine yourself being a published author yeah i mean i i i I think there's there's a love of reading and then there's the love of telling stories like as you mentioned and i definitely had both of those and i was obsessed with books but i don't know whether the idea that you could be an author I mean, I guess it was there in my head, but I never met a real author. We never had yeah. authors come and visit us out in Yass. So I guess it was a dream of mine. And then actually when I was in high school, I had a teacher who was um, not so supportive. Um, I was, you know, experimenting with things. And yeah. um, anyway, the, the feedback was sort of, um, it was not great. And it really knocked my confidence yeah. in writing prose. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't really have any great... Uh, teachers in that area but what I did have was um, a drama teacher who just sort of started at that school and that just exposed me to plays and and also I was really getting into film at that time and so I discovered there were a way of telling stories mostly through dialogue and yeah. action yeah. and it didn't matter if you didn't know how to write prose it didn't matter if you know your sentence structures weren't right because I yeah. one of the things I've always been good at is hearing the way people speak and being able to replicate those sort yeah. of patterns so I thought this is perfect for me so then I kind I did sort of going I went and studied theater at uni and was pursuing a a dramatic writing sort of career doing plays and then I studied at the film school as well um, on screenplays so for a while that was that was what I was going to do and it wasn't until later that um, I had a dream (laughs) and in the dream it was based on my childhood but it was this great um moment where I was like that would make a great kids book yeah so I just started writing it and here we are today yeah that no that that's really cool that's cool that you're sort of stuck with it um despite getting what you described as some pretty ordinary feedback on your writing um i wonder was was that feedback was it when you say it wasn't or it wasn't constructive for you was it saying that your ideas weren't good or was it the actual structure of your writing or yeah it was it was it was to do with the i think i was experimenting with short sentences and and different things like, you know, and I think it's important for young people to experiment with, with language and, yeah. um, but in, in a, cause you learn so much through, through play. And yeah. so it was at a stage where I was trying to do that, but sort of hitting a wall of someone saying, no, this is, this sentence doesn't make sense. You, you know, yeah. you've started um, a sentence with and, or, you know, something like that, as simple as that, yeah. um, but no, no, um, 
way forward from there. No way of yeah, here's just what saying, you could don't do, to do me. this. Yeah, it was yeah, just the, yeah. Don't do this instead of oh, instead of this, you could potentially do this instead. Exactly. And I had someone yeah. once say, oh, look, there's a lot of cliches in your work, full stop. And there was no pointing out, well, these are the cliches. This is what a cliche is. This is yeah. why we might avoid a cliche. <laughs> so when yeah. people are just saying that, you're suddenly like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. then you feel bad. And so you sort of move away from that. And then all of a sudden you start to think, oh, well, maybe I don't know what a cliche is, but I know I shouldn't write like that or I shouldn't include exactly. them. So then you stop writing that style or in that sort exactly. of way. Yeah. Exactly, yep. exactly. Yeah, so you have, what, you've got a few different sort of book series, I guess, but your first one was Chicken Stew. Now, I remember you saying that that was inspired by your childhood. Is that childhood on the farm? Yeah, absolutely. So yep. in, in the first um, iteration of the book, it was five boys um, living on this farm, and I used the middle names of myself and all my yeah. brothers, so I didn't disguise them very much at all. <laughs> and... Um, in some of the first initial feedback, it, the first thing was there were just too many characters. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things was they said the the character that was me, they said, it's not believable that this kid grew up on a farm. You know, there's nothing farm-like about this kid. Yeah. I was like, it's me. <laughs> you know, I did grow up there. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was, there was some feedback. So things got changed and that character now comes from Sydney and ends up having to live with his cousins. There are only two cousins now. So, yeah. you know, things got changed along the way and, and it developed its own life. But certainly the starting point was um, yeah. growing up on that farm and the things we got up to and the dangers that we sort of faced. Yeah. No, that that's that would have been really cool to sort of, um, I guess, have a big chunk of your own childhood turned into a book, like, and from your own perspective too. That's really cool. So yeah. And it's certainly the, the farm is so you know, because I grew up there, it's so clear in my head. And yeah. so it's one of those places where it's not constructed at all. It is that farm, you know, geographically speaking, I, I knew where yeah. every dam was and every. So yeah. it was fun to return to that place as well, yeah. you know, in, in your mind. Well, well, we'll go into the process of um, how you write the books a little bit later. But I guess for that, like you were saying that because it was your childhood farm, so you knew the ins and outs of it, did that sort of make it a little bit easier to write the story? Like was the process for you writing the first um, iteration relatively simple because it was so familiar to you? Yeah, I think for the for the first draft, yep. sure. I, I had a lot of stories that I was trying to, you know, see if they would fit into this story. I had the landscape. I even had when it was all of my brothers there, I had certain personality types that I was working with. And I guess the thing that I had the most, which really sustained that project was the voice of the main character. Yeah. Because even though it's not me, it is certainly a version uh, yeah, of Yeah, a part me. of you, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think with all of my books, if I get that, main voice right it will sustain the book and it will push me forward when i don't get it right it's just like slamming it your head against a wall you need yeah. to get that that main so that was easy and then um but from draft two onwards it also became a bit of a limitation because i had to break away from what really happened and let the story you know have its own life yeah. and and own drama so sometimes yeah. you had to change modify things in a way that was you know untrue to the memory yeah but better but better for the story and so was once that, you let go it's easy difficult but some, for you yeah at times yeah. And, and you worry about what people will think about especially if they recognize themselves in a character and suddenly yeah. they're doing something that is very 
um, uncharacteristic of them. Uncharacteristic, yeah. or they they might be offended by it. Say, no, I'm not saying that you would do that, but I needed the character to be more like this, um, yeah. to be more dramatic, that sort of yeah. thing. So yeah, you had to kind of, you had to just switch off and say, I can't worry about what people yeah. are going to think. I just need to. And, and at a certain point, it did. The story became its own own beast. Yeah, yeah. So then you released your second book, which was Bad Grammar. Now, if I'm correct, that's based on like a remote boarding school or it's based yeah. in a remote boarding school. Was that it is. any connection to your own schooling experience? Uh, I I had spent a little bit of time as an adult um, working in remote communities in, in re- regional and, and rural uh, New South Wales. And I, so I, I guess I had that landscape in my head. And I think the initial inspiration was just what if there was a school here you know in the middle of nowhere yeah um why is that school there who would go to this school yeah. so you know questions usually of what you start with and you know the solutions yeah um, bring about the plot so that was the initial thing but one of the getting the character right in that one the i had to work out this um the dramatic arc for this character and so marcus his best friend has left the country and he has no other friends. And now he's become very antisocial and just uh, locks himself away in, in a game world. Yep. And so that came purely from my childhood when I was in year two, my best and only friend Bashir, he left the country. And I remember I was very lucky that there were some kind boys who came over and befriended me. But for, you know, a day there, I was like, oh, I have no friends. <laughs> what am I going to do? And, you know, yeah. and so it's little things like that, that for a young child can be hugely um, emotional. Yeah, absolutely. So that, so that became the the dramatic, um, the, the wound for the character, which then yeah. uh, helped create that story. So so like Chicken Stew, there are certain elements that I, that I put into this story, yeah. but certainly the school was a completely made up yeah. place. No, that, that would be cool working in um, sort of taking your experiences from um, working in remote communities or remote areas and then, again, turning them into a, a story, essentially. Yeah, I, I'm always inspired by a place. So there are multiple. I've got a new series coming out next year that was inspired by a visit to Stromboli in yep. Italy. Oh, wow. Um, there's an, a, another book I'm writing that was inspired by the Dane Tree. So often you go to places, and especially if they're strange or there's something dangerous about them, yeah. you just think, oh, my goodness, imagine if you put kids here. <laughs> you know, yeah. what would happen? Do you, um, when, when you go to those sort of um, destinations or those sort of environments and places, do you go in thinking, oh, this could be a really cool story or a really cool setting for a story or do you sort of go there and then while you're there the it, it's usually while i'm there flourish yeah yeah yep. absolutely and i think some people you know a story might be inspired by a particular character that might be a starting point for me it's usually a location yeah so the farm in chicken stew the school for bad grammar um are usually yeah a location yeah. draws me and then you think well what character would hate it in this location, yeah. <laughs> you know, to get the, the <laughs> yeah. drama out of the story. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So those two or those first two ones, um, Chicken Shoe and Bad Grammar, were sort of one-off books. Um, and then you started to write The Nerd Herds, which is more of a series. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yep. So how, how did the idea for Nerd Herds come around? Um, so a few things um, aligned. One, one is that I, uh, so my son was reading lots of, junior fiction so i was reading a lot of that stuff yep. and i just there was a big gap between bad grammar and nerd herd because i'd become the prime carer for him yep. and so I had, I had no time to write so as we were reading these things i was thinking oh these are a bit more manageable as well to keep the world in your head so writing yeah. a, a full novel like bad grammar does take 
me a lot of time. I thought I can contain this a little bit more. So, so yeah. I started to work on it as he started school. Um, so I, ha- I had that sort of style of those younger books, a younger audience. Um, for some reason, I knew it had to be about a lamb. Yeah. I did maybe grow- being growing up around farm, lambs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, if you have that, what's your spirit animal for me, it's probably a, <laughs> a lamb. lamb. Yeah not very you know, not very exciting but <laughs> probably true and the other thing i kept talking about location so i visited collingwood um children's farm down in okay. melbourne which was a petting zoo and um and we took my son there and one of the things that really struck me about it was that they had a barn type thing with a open fire and there were all these animals sort of you know cozying lying yeah. down near the fire getting all nice and cozy and i thought oh this is a fancy farm you never get this <laughs> on our farm and so that kind of became the setting so in nerd herd there is this coveted barn with a, a fire that all the animals want to be in but yeah. now it's a, a pecking order issue of who yeah. is the, the strongest animal to get there yeah because that i guess um reading a little bit of that it sort of reminded me in a, in a sense of like the pecking order um, of um, George Orwell's um, animal farm mm. sort of, but more kid friendly, obviously, I, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. I, yeah. Actually, I actually wrote a draft of Nerd Herd 4, which is a, about to come out, that, that took Animal Farm and, and Heart of Darkness, which became Apocalypse Now, and kind of use those as the yeah. the um basis for the story and the publishers i don't know where i was where my mind was at that time the publishers just came back going um it's, not <laughs> it's terrib- quite dark terribly, yeah it's a bit dark not terribly so i had to rewrite yeah. that one try to pitch and stories for like five, yeah yeah six and it ended up becoming yeah it became more yeah. of a love story instead yeah. of those <laughs> things so yeah i'm definitely you know i, I do love my animal farm <laughs> yeah Yes, yes. This is a much um, more kid-friendly version. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the writing process, I guess, because um, obviously with your teaching background too and um, myself as a teacher, we sort of teach kids the process of, right, well, we plan it, we draft it, um, edit it, and then a good copy. And then, or at times, that can be it. But I guess what from... Uh, an author's point of view sort of what's the process like how, how long does it take you to write the initial draft mm, so it's it's one of those how long is a piece of string type scenarios yeah, in that some of them like nerd uh sorry chicken stew was 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 over a couple of years that i was writing but you know i was writing bits here and there yeah and and like i mentioned because i'd lost my confidence in writing prose there were things where i would send it off to a manuscript assessment yeah. and basically all i was sending it off to is just for them to say yes you're on the right track you know <laughs> you yeah. can write prose t- type of thing and then i entered it in the children's book council i um, mean the new south wales branch have a mentorship prize and so i got a mentor through that and worked it on it with them so it was a really long process but that was also my first book so i was yeah, learning so much and then you think oh yeah i know what i'm doing so i wrote the second book so quickly and it was rejected very quickly as well because <laughs> yeah i remember you no- saying that yeah. yeah it was nowhere near ready um and then i spent a lot longer on bad grammar but yeah. it but it i developed it actually as a tv show and so i'd done all this um pre thinking about the the story world and everything so when i yeah. came to actually write the book it was it was probably um a month because i had a, a fellowship in adelaide to do yeah. it um so it, it, again i had all my distractions were taken away i could really concentrate which is yeah. really rare for authors to be able to do that so when i could buckle down i could actually write that in a month but i'd yeah. done all the pre-thinking so often with a book it's that thing of 
it, it, which is different, I guess, than the way that we teach kids is yes, you write it, um, you plan it, you write it, you edited it, but instead of a good copy, it's like now you've got a copy that you can yeah. show to someone else for them to give you the feedback to tear it to shreds, to, to, to rewrite it <laughs> yeah. and edit yeah. a good copy. Another person rips it to shreds, you know, you do that process a few times yeah. um, before it gets to the copy you're actually, is your actual, yeah. you know, good copy. And then of course the publisher are then going to come in and, and you do a structural edit and then a copy yeah. edit. So it's constant um, changing it and trying not to be precious. With yeah, of, of course. And I imagine like, like you just said there, the editing process must be an absolute overhaul as well, as far as editing or editing it, I should say for um, like, like your general conventions, punctuation, grammar and all that, but then also editing it. So, the ideas are flowing consistently through it and like yeah. they, they so must all, edit all, so many different things of it. Yeah. So all of the punctuation and all that sort of stuff comes right at the end. That's you oh, know, okay. copy, copy edit, because there's no point doing that until everything else is in place the way that it should be. Yeah. So they start with what's called a structural edit where your editor will, will say, okay, you know, this is, these are the bits of the story that need strengthening, you know, have you considered doing this? And yep. a structural edit can be hard because often you do get so um, wed to your story or your character's doing certain things. You've really got to take yourself out and realize, yeah. okay, this is a someone outside of the story who's come in and said, this isn't working. So you, if, even if you don't like their suggestion, you've got to work out another way of solving that do, problem. Yeah. Yeah. And the good, I mean, I've always worked with editors that I've loved and I've always thought, I've always thought their notes have been really great. Yeah. So it's, I've never had that problem, which is good. But yeah, certainly you start with all that. You might do a couple of rounds of structural editing, depending on how well you respond yeah. to them in the first place. And then it's not till after then that they'll do the start yeah. to do the copy edit. And that's so when you, you realize all of the problems. <laughs> that you, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. You so in, in like the structural editing phase of it, is that like saying, oh, you could spend a bit more time developing the character in this part of it or you could spend yeah. more time expanding this part of it as in like slow it down or you've gone over this event or this part yeah, of the sometimes. story too quick. So it, let's slow it down and yeah, it, it's usually it quite, a bit. It's usually quite bigger picture because some of that other stuff about slowing down might, you might actually do in a copy edit saying this, yeah, okay. you know, this bit. Could. So in a structural edit, it might be more like we haven't properly established the character at the start. Could we see them doing something else that shows us this element about them? Yep. Usually in a structural edit, for me at least, the ending is it's always a big problem. Endings are the hardest thing to write and to to get right. So often it's it's fixing that. Um, why, why is that? Is that just because you're trying to tie all the loose ends and not have any? I think it's gaps also because I, I think because I rewrite the start so many times when I'm doing the edit, and I, and the way that because some people say don't read your work as you're writing, just keep going, otherwise you'll never get to the end. Yeah, and that can be good, but often if you don't have much time to write, you've got this big gaps between you you you're losing the the impetus to get back into yeah. it. So what I do is I usually will finish maybe halfway through a chapter or something, and then I'll reread. And as I'm doing, make little edits um, to get up to where I'm at. Yeah. And I kind of see it as like, you know, that propulsion of like getting you, throwing you off the, yeah. <laughs> the end, you know? <laughs> and so you get that run up and then you can go for it. Yeah. Get and so as a result, you. yeah. And for, as a result, the first half has been rewritten and passed over so many times. It's actually quite, good quite strong yeah. but usually the ending you get to it and you're so relieved that you've got to it and yeah. yes you do your editing process but it's probably the bit you haven't actually concentrated 
on enough. Yeah. Um, and sometimes authors are, um, it's tricky because the heart of your story, you sometimes shy away from yep. the, the emotional truth of what you're trying to say. And you need yeah. to say, actually, this is what your story is about. So yeah, endings are, are tricky. Sometimes I nail them, but sometimes, yeah. They're, they're so weird. I guess what, oh, it, and it would, I'd imagine it would vary so much from book to book, but how much of say the original draft would be kept in or kept by by the end of the editing? Are we, are we talking like 50% or 60%? I think oh, I think it would depend. I think in order for an or for a publisher to sign on, you would you'd have to have most of it, especially yeah. if you're a new author. Most yep. of it, right. right? So I think that most of my books have pretty much made it through to the end. Sometimes yep. there might have been additional chapters or um, chapters cut out because they were unnecessary. But generally, I think yep. most of it is there. I'm now at the stage where there is some like my new series where I was able to pitch most of the book without having written it yeah um which was great except then you get so nervous when you send it like (laughs) (laughs) like i've pitched this awesome idea and they love it let's see if the writer holds up to it yeah (laughs) yeah but i think most of most of it gets through sometimes it just needs to be reordered or bits added to strengthen it yeah of course how how do you go about finding a, a publisher you're saying like you obviously work pretty closely with the publisher and the editor but how how do you go about finding them or do they sort of give you an option? Yeah. Look, there's a few things. One is, um, I mean, the, the advice given to um, aspiring authors is you should be reading a lot of what's out there and then you should be looking at the ones that sort of speak to you or are like what you're writing. Look yep. at who's publishing those because chances are they might like what you've written. So that's the, first, the rule of thumb. However, having said that, it's not always that always easy. Always the case, yeah. There are certain publishers that don't take unsolicited um, manuscripts. That means if you don't have an agent, you can't approach them. Oh, really? Okay. Um, but then there's that problem of, well, how do you get an agent? So then you've got, yeah. and it's not, you know, agents don't necessarily, if you're a nobody, well, you know, why? <laughs> so anyway, so it's a, this complicated process, but there are lots of publishers who do accept unsolicited manuscripts. So you're, yeah. you, you can send it in and you become part of a slush pile, which sounds really lovely. <laughs> um, you know, and there are people... And there are people, this is the thing that in publishers, they're, they're overworked. Um, they don't have a lot of time. And so reading through the slush file can be a really, you know, horrendous yeah. thing. And I imagine there would be a lot of um, terrible manuscripts in there as well. Yeah. So you've kind of got to make sure that what you're sending there is the best it can possibly yeah. be, especially yeah, at the start that you want to grab them. So there are different ways. For me, I was really lucky in that my mentor, that I, who I mentioned before through the children's book council and new south wales branch that person at the end of our mentorship process said um do you want me to give scholastic a call yeah okay so he called them while we were there you know at at a cafe and he said i've got this great manuscript i'm sending it to you and they were like we can't make any promises but it was my in to a publisher yeah of course in that case it wasn't necessarily who i had picked but it was the right publisher for that story anyway yeah and the sort of stuff yeah. that pub, that scholastic publish yeah is that, um, I, was, I was about to just say that like sort of your style of writing or the books that you're you're publishing or, or writing are write up scholastic sort of absolutely early, especially the, yeah especially the the latest sort of stuff yeah so so yeah so it worked really well um but yeah so i guess it's that thing of you you use whatever uh, openings that you can find yeah. um, and and hope for the best, but you should be aware of, you know, yeah. which sort of publishers there are out there. And, yeah. but there are also a lot of conferences and things as opportunities to pitch to yeah. 
publishers, sometimes publishers who are closed to um, unsolicited manuscripts might be there and you can show them. So there are yeah. lots of ways in. You've just got to be really savvy as to look yeah, what's out and, there. And be prepared to sort of grind out the the rejections almost, I guess, and just keep, yeah. keep pushing through that. But the joy, I just want to point out, the joy of um, the publishing world is because I, I, you know, had this little dalliance with TV writing and stuff like that. And for that, it's always about the pitch, the elevator pitch. And you've got to be able to sell yourself. Yeah. And a lot of writers like me are not so good at that. And um, So, but with a book, no one cares about your elevator pitch or how well you can sell it. They just care about the book. The about the right, yeah. Itself. Yep. Yeah, so if the book that, is good. That must be really good too, I guess, because like a lot of things, especially like in different industries and careers is all about who you know rather than how good you are so that must be really good validation for you as an author to know that you're being chosen not because of how well you can sell yourself but because of your actual craft your actual writing of of a book absolutely i think it it makes this level playing field i mean yes there are the celebrity authors who are right (laughs) their books but you know that aside um all the authors that i know and um are people who have just you know written the books yeah. that they cared about and sent it off yeah. and yeah so then i guess after after like your first um your first book chicken stew how did how did that sort of get onto a second one were were they were scholastic your publisher pushing you to write a second one or did you just say hey i've got this idea for another one and then it well, went from yes yeah. so the, they they did the one that got rejected was very much they contacted me saying have you got something else and i was you know I was struggling to, you know, work full time, write and do all these sort of things. So yeah. I, I wrote that one too quickly and it, it wasn't quite right. So it is that thing of you, kids grow up really quickly. And so you need to kind of have the next book ready. Yeah. And for the, my first two books, I, I didn't have the next book ready. And um, that made it a bit hard for me. Um I've learned from that now <laughs> and yeah. I've got a lot of projects um, in various states yeah. of development now. Um, and I try and make the most of my time so that, yeah. yeah so, you, so you keep being relevant and whilst there's excitement that you've got something out there, you can jump on that with the next one. The last thing you want is for a book to come out uh, for you to wait for it to, you know, go out of print. No one cares who you are and then try to sell yourself yeah. again. You want yeah. to yeah, jump on that momentum. And then I guess it also, so you might have a new book come out and then knowing that you have two others in pre-development and one in whatever process or whatever yeah schedule of editing there is so yeah always keep keep that ball rolling yeah otherwise you're just sitting there visiting bookshops looking to see how many books you've sold that day and <laughs> yeah <laughs> Do, do you get the numbers to like does scholastic give you the numbers uh, you, you do but you don't get them very regularly so you yeah. get two royalty um statements a year so of course when your book comes out everyone's asking well how's it selling i have yeah. no idea yeah. <laughs> and so they only come out once every six months and even then you sort of you're waiting two months after that the period yeah. the, the close-off period to get those numbers so and, yeah. then, and then there's a thing where booksellers can return certain numbers so they're not always guaranteed sales um yeah so you just have to hope (laughs) so um especially with your line of books um the thing that drew me to them when i first saw them was uh illustrations on on the front covers now how how did you come across your illustrator chris kennett so chris was selected by the publisher often the publishers are uh, making those connections and yeah so when so when i signed on for the nerd herd 
they were, they, they were just really excited because they just um, opened up, I think, a portfolio submission or something. So they had this plethora of, of new illustrators and things that, but they had worked with Chris before. And I think they just knew that the sense of humor was right. Was right um, for that style. Yeah. For that artist, particular style. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, while I know illustrators, I, didn't even want to suggest anyone because that's that's what they do best. That's yeah. you know they're very good at matching up people. So they sent me through some um, samples of his work, and I was yep. like, "Yeah, he looks looks great." And it wasn't <laughs> though until I saw the first I think chapter that he'd done. I was like, "Wow, he, he's yeah. so his um, illustrations so dynamic, and they just yeah. really bring the story to life." Um, and the humor, like there's stuff in the books that makes me laugh so much yeah. that um. Yeah, it's a work of from, Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And sometimes when I'm writing, I'm writing something that I know he will bring to life in a really funny way. I'm sort yeah. of, it's almost like setting up the joke, and then he, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll he comes hit in the punchline. Punch yeah. yeah, yeah. That that must be really cool. Um, even being part of that process with him, I imagine he, the you tell him, oh, I envisioned it to look like this, and then he'll draw it and then come back to you, and then pretty much like you're you're writing, I guess it's sort of that back well, yeah, and forth well, until. You're both well, it's interesting. Well, actually, so the, the way that it worked um, and often works for authors and illustrators is that because I guess that they're trying to avoid any um, fighting or preciousness between either the author or illustrator, especially yeah. if they've never worked together before. So when I write, I get all my notes from the editor, they send them back, I do a rewrite, etc. Once it's right, they lay it out get sent to Chris. Chris does his drawing, sends it in. They give him notes. Um, he changes it, gets sent back. So it's pretty much a final version. Only oh, then do okay. I see it, yeah. just in case there's anything, which quite frankly, there never really is. Yeah. It might, unless there's something like, oh, in book four, I was thinking of doing this. So could we, you know, change yeah. this so we can, so it'll make sense or whatever. But generally it's it's great. And, and I don't like to give him, I rarely give illustration notes unless it's really important yeah. because I do like him coming up with his own stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it all, it all comes through the publisher. So the first time we ever spoke to each other, which was via Zoom, was at our book launch. Oh, really? Yeah. So we came together, um, Adrian Beck was hosting it and he didn't even realise we'd never actually <laughs> met before. Yeah. 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 He's like, oh, hi, by the way. <laughs> yeah. and, and because of COVID, we've still not met in person. Yeah. We've only ever, <laughs> you know. Whereabouts is he based? He's in Bendigo. Bendigo. All right. Yeah. One day, one day. One, one day. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what I really like is that, and you said it at the writer's workshop that you held with, with our students was um that you try to put, or you do put a lot of, yourself into the characters and even your storylines too. So does that make thinking up characters easier? I think for my main character, it does. It yeah. gives me a starting point. And often it'll be just an, an element. So for example, Stu in Chicken Stew and Marcus in Bad Grammar are very different from each other, but they do both come from who I am yeah. and even Barney. Um, yeah. that if you merge those three characters together, you'd probably get a much more rounded version of myself. So yeah. I'm kind of isolating certain elements of my personality for those main characters. And I write yeah. first person narrative. So I really do want to connect yeah. myself in a way to that main character. But then my other characters often, I mean, I still often use either people I know or people that you see when you're out and about, they'll have a, an interesting quality about them. Um, and you think, oh, and you, you know, 
write that in your little notebook yeah. and and often starting a character with just for example fred in bad grammar speaks incredibly fast and so that's all i had when i started yeah um but it it that sort of um quirk lends itself then to the personality of someone who thinks really really fast and yeah. you know um and the way sort of impulsive and all these sort of things sort of come out of that that are natural just- from that one trait exactly that one quality yeah Yeah, of course and sometimes the the trait the quality that you pick doesn't work and so you go back to square one like okay let's let's scrap that let's try a different sort of character and you're trying to populate your story with um characters that are different from each other you want to get the drama so if you've got for example in this case so fred talks really fast but he latches on to people and then you've got the main character who's sort of very antisocial, doesn't want to make friends because his last friend left and he doesn't want to go through yeah. that pain again so already you've got the drama you know between that add in a third character who's trying to keep the peace between them and you know all this that's how you you start with one and then yeah. you kind of build and then on that always on from it. yeah yeah and always with the idea of oh i need i need to get drama out of it each scene i can't have everyone yeah. just act the same just be kind to each other yeah. you know you've got to and differences forward. make for good conflict in especially in stories Absolutely. too so yeah yeah are there do you ever add qualities in like your families or your friends or anyone else in your life into other characters or is it mainly just I, you start from yourself i um for the main character it's it's usually myself definitely yeah. all the supporting characters um i don't know whether my <laughs> the people that i have start from realize often yeah. people don't it's funny they'll they'll pick someone else and say oh i can see myself in that character and think really because this <laughs> character over here that's that's the one that you're yeah. inspired so people don't always you know pick it up yeah. but um yeah i'm certainly i use other people all the time and then but then by the time you get to that draft that the publisher sees there they are quite hidden because yeah. they have become their own the more time you spend with them they sort of just organically develop into develop. that character yeah of course yeah, yeah. but but it's just it's just a jumping off point of you know someone who talks like that someone who's a cheapskate someone who's really vain yep. just you know these yep. types of people yep no because it, it was really um it was really good in again in that writer's workshop and i've actually implemented it with my own teaching um, of writing was that you said when developing characters think of three strengths three weaknesses um and i guess the character's goal so something that they want to achieve mm. and i'd implemented that with um with my own year three students and the quality of the characters was just so much broader and so much richer than i had before teaching so i think that's a really good teaching point for narrative writing in in a school that's great that's great to hear that that it works it certainly is is the way i approach it it's quite simple but you you do want well-rounded characters yeah absolutely and And relatable too is something you mentioned as well like characters that the audience um, can relate to. So writing or writing with the mindset of writing for a particular audience. So yeah, that, that was really good. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so besides an author, you've, you've also got quite a list of other sort of um, lack of a better term qualifications. Um, you've got a bachelor of arts and communication, uh, a diploma in screenwriting and a master's of teaching. Like, wow, that's such a high much. list of, achievements <laughs> I, well yeah i i mean I, I as i mentioned my bachelor of um communication was in theater and media that was sort of what i was pursuing um and i, and I still do a lot of theater stuff i yeah. do love the theater and then and from that i'd always loved movies so that's that's what led me to do the um the graduate diploma in screenwriting but then as we also mentioned that that world is so hard um you've got to 
sell yourself every day. And it was, it wasn't, I mean, I still like that. And I still, if the opportunity arose, I would certainly do stuff in that arena, but I think yeah. personality wise, it doesn't quite suit me as well as the children's book world suits yeah. me, you know, perfectly. And then teaching came about um, because firstly, once I'd written um, my first couple of books, uh, there were schools that wanted me to come in and, and speak within them and that was yeah. like oh okay and was that, was that, that was a shock great. when when you got asked to do that yeah I guess I wasn't um I was aware I was really I'd really immersed myself in the world of kids books but not necessarily the world of authors you know yeah. I still hadn't met any real children's authors I didn't yeah. know what I was doing that all came later as I joined associations and things so yeah so it was kind of like okay um what, what do I do going in and um to start with you know you just yeah bumbled your way through yeah. through these experiences. But what I discovered very early on is that I loved it. Yeah. That I loved talking to kids. I much prefer that than talking to a room full of adults. Yeah. Um, there's something about their react that the honesty of their reactions yeah. to things that make it easier. Yeah. Um, so telling stories is my favorite thing to do with with young audiences. Um, and then and then when it come, came to workshops, I sort of developed different ways of doing things and tried different things. Um, and so as a result of all that and knowing that I loved it, when my son was born and because I've been working in arts organisation, arts education organisations, and it was really hard knowing what the next job was going to be, I thought I need a proper job and I need to be able to deal with school holidays when he go, when he starts school. Yeah. So that's when I thought, well, I, I like being in, in the classroom. So that's when I did my master's and then in that, teaching. That's so how you can have your, your holidays aligned with your son's holidays as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And right now, like I, for ages I've been doing, I was a specialist um, performing arts teacher, yeah. which I loved. Um, yep. And as part of that, I got to write um, plays that we'd put on each year, which was heaps That's of fun That's so me. cool, yeah. Um, and, you know, and so, and you know, it was lots of fun. Then I would do writing stuff as well, often in the schools I was at. And it's only recently with um, just with a lot of the writing stuff picking up that I've had to sort of step a bit away from yeah. that because it's, it's as you will know, being a teacher, teaching is so much work. Yeah, it's um, more than just that classroom. Yeah. Yeah, so much more. And so you know, I just got to the point where the um, amount of me that I needed to make it successful and, and for it to be um, great for the kids, I just didn't have that. Yeah. in me as much so now i'm doing more casual teaching yep. when i need to and able to concentrate more on these other things yeah of course so um you said you've got a, a diploma in screenwriting which until i read that i didn't even know that that was a a thing to be honest with you but um yeah. do you want to talk about the differences i guess about writing for a screen or a play than compared to writing a, a novel yeah well i guess um i mean so in some ways they're similar. Like I mentioned, the um, Bad Grammar started as a TV script, essentially. Yep. So for me, um, the way that I write, which and which especially if a nerd heard, is a very visual way of writing and um, action focused. They actually lend themselves to each other quite well. They, you know, almost read like a film sometimes. Yeah. The some of the big differences is the limitations that you. Uh, run into so for example with tv or film you've got to think well someone's got to pay for this to be made like i can't yeah. have explosions happening everywhere or <laughs> you know all that sort of stuff yeah and all the special effects if if yeah. that's the way you want to go to and especially with theater it's it's even more important if in order for a show to get up and then tour the country there are limitations to how many actors you can have yeah so if you can only have four or five actors 
you can't have that many characters. Yeah. So how are you going to deal with that? You, you know, there are creative solutions to that, but you've really got to think about that. You've got to think about how many sets that you can have. So how is all that going to happen? Yeah. When you write a book, you don't have to think about any of that. You yeah. can write whatever you want. And, you know, certainly it can it's, be it's as crazy be- and as wild yeah. as, as you like. You could write about going into space where I guess if you yeah. wrote a screenplay about being in space, it'd be a yeah. lot harder to get that onto screen. Exactly. So generally the structure of the story is done in a similar way. The only other big difference is when you, well, not with some of these junior fiction books, but with a lot of um, thicker books, people are reading maybe a chapter and putting it down and coming back a little bit later. It's kind of like watching episodes of TV, whereas in a film or in a play, you're watching it all in one slog. Yeah. So it does change a little bit the way that you would structure that and the pacing of of a story that's different than a book. So is the way you approach it, similar then it it would be wouldn't it as far as your character development and your storyline yeah and i mean that those the, things the last play that i did um which is just about to come back in sydney was an adaptation of oliver pomervan's book tyrific yeah. and so that was a really different process because you were you had source material that you yeah. were trying to adapt and in a way constrained to the to these um limitations of yeah. class size and all that sort of thing yeah. so i actually so I walked in going, oh, how am I going to do this? But I actually loved it because it was actually really creative in, in working out ways of extracting plot and changing. So if you read the book and watch the play, they they have the same tone, the same yeah. energy, you know, some of the same plot, but it really has sort of all been moved around a bit yeah. and restructured um, to have a, a, quite a different dramatic arc, which yeah. works for the theatre and, you know, might not have worked for the book yeah so that was it was really fun actually doing yeah. that and so that's when you're working with someone else's character it's also very different than, yeah and know, i guess it's sort of scratch it'd be very similar to like because i read um novels or series to to my kids and the one that always stands out in my mind is a book that i absolutely loved when i was teaching senior primary school was um wonder and then uh, the, yeah. the movie adaptation of that and the discussions we had about like the differences in the story um, compared to the movie um, was just incredible. And then you obviously have all your discussion with the plots and with such a rich sort of plot in um, wonder as well. It it does lead for good classroom discussion. Absolutely. I I love, I did the same sort of thing with some of the classes I taught. We we would look at those sorts of, um, whether it be a play or a movie and the adaptation process and why did yeah. they do that, you know, and yeah. especially because, and that's the other big difference I should say between writing for these mediums is that when I write a book, I all of my books so far have been first-person narrative. So you're right in that person's head, yeah. but you're also constrained by geographically where they are. Yeah. But in in a play, you can't do that. And I, in, in, in scripts, I rarely use voiceover because I find it, it's a little bit of a, a lazy thing. We don't want to hear all, all these yeah. thoughts. So, so you're finding other ways of conveying that and, and yeah, using and action. portraying that. Yeah, yeah. So that's and it's a good, it's a really good skill to have that because you should be doing that in, in yeah. prose writing anyway. Um, yeah, but and so that when you look at those different things and and work out why they choose to do it like this, sometimes it is because of that because you don't have you've got to try to find a different way of yeah. showing what you could tell. Or, you know, those sort of like those limitations would be um, sort of a good challenge to have, I guess. But is it really, or it could also be really difficult as well at times, especially like you were saying with um, casting compared to the characters. So the book might have more characters than 
you can afford with your budget to cast, I guess, as well. So there would be some really difficult challenges there at, at the same time. Yeah, and that's where I think having someone, uh, so me not being Oliver, being able to come in and kill off characters or yeah. you know, just remove them Take from the story, out, yeah. Yeah, is easier for me than it would have yeah, been. because you don't have that emotional attachment exactly. to, to the character. Yeah. yeah. Do you think and, your books will he, ever be turned into screenplays or, or maybe, plays? Maybe. Look, I can certainly see the potential there. And yeah. um, we'll see. I did, there was someone interested in bad grammar a number of years ago, but yeah. uh, anyone who's ever sort of had an option taken out on some of their work will know that sometimes it can be this huge long process yeah. and often it just dies. So yeah. you, it's exciting that there's interest and to know that there's yeah. the potential for that. But it, it would yeah. be cool to see though, I guess, as, as the mm. author, you must be, or you, I'd imagine you'd be excited to see what that would look like if it was to ever get turned yeah, into abs- that. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, you'd be nervous and that I guess as someone who does write across different mediums, I potentially want to be involved if something, yeah. I don't know, but also, I also sometimes feel like, well, I've already written this, you know, yeah. interested to see how somebody else might have someone, someone else's take on it too. Yeah. Yeah. But with Nerdhood, that was um, the first time I'd worked with an illustrator. And so seeing it come to life in that fashion, which kind of, you know, there are so many illustrations in that book. Yeah. It really, that was an amazing experience. Similar to, to what you had in mind? Like, is that how you um, envisioned it when you first sat down to write it? I don't know whether I did... Um, think about too much of like I guess there is the way that it looks in your head but that I don't really think in cartoon style if that yeah. makes sense yeah. but now I do when I'm writing where I've just finished book five in the nerd herd series and of course now I have the characters now that you have that drawn vision. in my head yeah. yeah yeah but to start with they probably just but they probably were realistic looking you yeah. know you know photorealistic yeah. lambs and things in my head and and the petting zoo that I'd been yeah. to so I, I didn't have any expectations in that sense because I'm not an illustrator. And yeah. so it was all just a joy to see, oh, wow, these yeah. look so good. And is, is he lined up to do, you said you've got a new series coming out next year. Is he yeah. lined up to do the illustrations for that as well? Or is it a he bit is. of a different setup? No, he is, but it's a slightly older series. Yeah. Um, so there will be fewer illustrations. Okay. And so it'll be yeah, um, a little bit less. I don't know how he does <laughs> what he does yeah. in a very short um, time span. So at least this will not be as stressful for him. Yeah. But I've seen the initial character designs in there. They're really great. Yeah. So right. I'm looking forward. This is this is a series that's been, like Nerdhood was, delayed because of COVID. So yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's, it's it a sounds, long time coming. Yeah. It sounds crazy that things are... So something as like writing and publishing a book can be delayed by COVID. Yeah. It just really shows you that how big of an impact it had, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Scholastic especially because they they have their book fairs and their book clubs. That, yeah. Um, and that's a huge through, selling point for them, I'd imagine. A, yeah, exactly. It's a huge amount of their um, income, and they and those things couldn't happen in yeah. in Melbourne or Sydney, the you know biggest markets when we were in lockdown. So, yeah. and, and I think initially as well, it was just everyone didn't know what to expect, so everyone was just holding off, especially yeah. on some of their things. So we got caught up in that, and and then you had a backlog of those things that got caught up. And anyway, yeah. you just <laughs> the whole thing with writing is you have to be patient. Yeah, <laughs> oh, of course, be patient. I, yeah, it can take a year and a half before a book that you've signed will come out and yeah so and more with covid so yeah you just when, learn to roll when when you sign on for a book is there a time frame they give you or is it sort of just you you have a um a publishing 
date in mind. Yeah. But that can change. Yeah, of course, with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think prior to that, they usually stuck, I think, to the usually they stick to the dates. They put it in the calendar, but yeah. sometimes things have to shift for whatever reason and you just hope that yours isn't the one that gets shifted. Yeah. So let, let's talk about teaching for a little bit. Now, when when you said you were teaching um performing arts, was that primary or was that more secondary? Yeah, primary. So I'm, I'm yeah. trained in primary teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you taught anything else? Like have you just been a generalist classroom teacher, like teaching all things maths, history, science, et cetera? Yeah, I have. And especially when I started, I was doing a bit of casual. The only thing that I um, will grimace at is if they try to make me teach sport. Yeah. Because I'm just not <laughs> a sport teacher. Yep. But I'll, you know, I'll give anything else a go. Um, but I definitely, I was very lucky that uh, some a number of positions have come up over my time that have been music and drama yeah, and combining George, both. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I've been very lucky with that. And also, yeah, I did definitely like the English. The maths sometimes, you know, if you're not using it, you forget it. Yeah, absolutely. So and you'll suddenly be in a year six maths class and they'll bring you their work and you think, yep. oh, dear. But it's not it's not even always that. Like it's sometimes that I know how to do it, but trying to teach other yeah. people to do it or I should say students to do it can be really tricky because you want to teach them to do it on their own without giving them the answer or without telling them exactly what to do. You sort of want them to work it out naturally. Yeah, and so, I've yeah. definitely done that thing of where you start to explain it and then they're looking more confused than yeah. they did it to start and you're yeah. now feeling confused <laughs> and you realise, I don't know. I know how to do this. I don't know how to teach this. That's exactly so, so, that's yeah. every day. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a specific year level that you taught or have you just taught... The range. I, I went, yeah, kinder through to year six. Yep. Um, yeah, which was good to have a variety. I, I'm imagining with your interest and um, passion in writing, the older year levels might be. Yeah, a little I, more started, I started, I did, I started liking years five and six, but now years three and four are the, the ideal ones for me. I really yeah. <laughs> like teaching those years. And I mean, the younger years are great, they're just exhausting. Oh, they're. <laughs> high needs <laughs> very yeah. lovely absolutely love the young kids but they're yeah I they're very un- responsive I which understand. is which is really great yeah but you yep. walk away and say, oh gosh <laughs> so tired yeah so what about like a standard writing like lesson how, how do you find teaching that yeah it's um i've i've learned this is where i sort of learned a lot on the job. So I would come in, especially with, with that plan, you would get um, schools would bring you in um, to, to focus lessons leading up to, to that plan. Yeah. And I just have my way of teaching writing and I would come in and over time, I sort of would learn the things that they were being taught about how to write a story. And they weren't always in line with what I was teaching. Yeah. Or, what, or what your beliefs of teaching. Yeah, what my, exactly. Yeah. And, and so that was, has been an interesting sort of, um, challenge of sort of adapting some of those things and I think for me the big thing is that and I, I understand there, there there are many benefits with um with standardized testing yeah. but one of the problems as I see it is that because we're, we're focused on these results we're teaching p- people to do something in a certain way yeah. and so you start to read all these stories from kids and they all 
just read the same. They've all got that same sizzling start and they've all, yeah. you know, the structure where scaffolding it down to a T because this is exactly how they want you yeah. to write it. And it's taking out a lot of the creativity. And of course, and the freedom if you pick, in it too. The freedom, yeah. And if you yeah. pick up a whole bunch of books and look at them, how many of them are starting in that particular way? Yeah. You know, there are lots of different ways to start a story and there are lots of different stories. And some of them don't start with a huge bang. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look at, uh, I was, I don't know whether I mentioned this in the workshop I was doing with you guys, but if you look at like a Bond film these days or any sort of action yeah. film, they start yep. with this massive opening. Yep. Um, but then you've got to top that when you get to your climax. That's got to be way bigger than yeah. this starting moment. Otherwise, your film's going downhill instead of uphill, you know, for the thing. Yep. So sometimes having this big sizzling start can also be <laughs> problematic, you know, especially if you yeah. haven't had much time to plan how you're going to go bigger. So, so I try to, what I say to kids is, look, all of these things you're learning and all the things that I might be able to teach you are tools and you've got a writer's toolbox. We've all got one. Yeah. So learn these things, experiment with how they work, and then you get to choose whether uh, yeah, for this particular story, it's going to work or not. So trying not to say this is absolutely how you must do it, you know. Yeah. Um, I've, I used to be a judge for lots of short story competitions written by kids. And sometimes the one that, that drew you in was someone who just knew how to write and tell a story. And often yep. if you broke it apart, you'd be like, oh, there wasn't actually much of a story arc in that but gosh it was yeah the event took over a few minutes but the way he wrote it made you feel like you were there and it lasted for hours yeah exactly that sense of space and sometimes you can be in one moment rather than having this big adventure story that this happens and then this uh, complication happens sometimes just being in this one beautiful perfect moment um, well written and well paced can you know be a beautiful thing yeah so writing can be lots of things and it's about experimentation and play and so not i think not telling people you have to do it this way but showing lots of different ways and looking at books that are out there and saying, well, how did the author do this? Yeah. Um, and there are other little things. Like I remember my first meeting with my mentor, he's like, we're going to talk about adverbs. And, you know, there are a lot of people who just hate adverbs and think you should never, ever use you know, death to adverbs. So I'm thinking, <laughs> what, what is he talking about? And, and the theory is that rather than use an adverb, you could use a stronger verb. So instead of saying, I um, hear, you know, he spoke quickly, you could say, you know, he gushed or something like that. Yeah. So finding a stronger verb in place of that adverb. And it's just something that I really um, stick to and I try yeah. where possible. I, I rarely use adverbs. Um, and there are other things like too many adjectives, you know, can kill something. In yeah. schools, you'll see that, especially in like kindy and year one, for every noun, they're like, you have to have a minimum of two, you know, adjectives yeah. for that noun. Yeah, of course. And and so you're as an author coming in to teach things, you're fighting against these things. Yeah. Like, really? You want that many adjectives? And, I'm, and I'll, um, I'll, I'm guilty of that too. But at the same time, I try to get the kids to understand that, well, at the same time, while I'm, trying to show you this is one way you can write you need to write what works for you and the tone and the voice and the message you want to convey could be completely misinterpreted from what i'm trying to teach you or show you so yeah yeah. absolutely and and so that's why i've learned not to to fight these things because they are different and i do think that when you're learning to write in school you should be able to play with you know use as many adjectives as you can the other thing is um your 
dialogue attribution. So often an editor will come back and after each bit of speech, it usually it'll just be said someone. We rarely use, I mean, I use said, yelled, screamed sometimes, yeah. but I rarely use a lot of the other ones. Whereas in school, you taught, there's a whole list up on the board of all the, the different- Other words you can, you can use, use instead yeah. of said, yeah. Yeah, and but in the publishing world, you actually wouldn't use many of those because it kind of takes you out of the story and often it's implied in the dialogue anyway, yeah. the way that it might be said. So, um, but but I I don't think the teachers should be taking that down because of course you should be learning all those words yeah. and playing with them. It's all part yeah. of the, the process. And exposing them to that sort of vocab as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so when I teach, I, I would never pick up anyone on, oh, you've over-described anything here. I'm just excited that you're yeah. learning how to describe things and you're, you know, trying to paint the picture, you know, great. Well done. Yeah. And that, um, so that was definitely, that definitely showed in, in the workshop as well, I, I must say. And the kids noticed that too, that you were giving them feedback. So the kids would read or share their writing and then you'd give them feedback. You'd tell them what they liked. And then instead of saying, oh, here's what you should do, you sort of post it almost as a question to them, like, have you thought about or could you consider, et cetera? Yeah. So I think, yeah, and, that and really often the, And often the feedback I'm giving is more structural. I'm trying to make them think about the characters or getting excited. If I get excited in the story, it's often if I do really ask those questions, it means that I'm actually invested now yeah. in what the story is. I'm really keen to. And then I yeah. might have an idea of perhaps you might want to think, you know, whatever, but I rarely would pick out oh, the way that you use that word, you know, don't use that word, use this word. I, yeah. I don't like to be like that because I think that puts you off the, yeah. the fun and, of the writing. Yeah. And like, like you said as well, they could have used that word for a specific meaning because of the way they're trying to portray the character or the yeah. way they're trying to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's next for you, mate? You've said you've, Got a new series coming out next year. Um, yeah. With this new series, I need to ask, with this new series of books that you're re releasing, does that mean the Nerd Herd series are going to eventually stop or are you just going to run two series? Well, that's... Or have you not worked that out yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's dependent on um, the publishers, really. So we've got... There's another two Nerd Herds that are scheduled for this year. Yep. Um, and then we'll see. We're sort of at that stage. And look, to be honest a lot of um, series are in that sort of waiting room space because um, COVID has affected sales. It has affected how people have discovered new series. And so yeah. it, there's a little bit of just checking to see how, well, I think we'll know when books yeah. four and five come out, just how um, popular they've been. And that, you know, yeah. I, I feel like they certainly have, I get, I get a lot of feedback about them. So fingers crossed though, they'll, they'll be popular enough that they will want to continue that series. Yeah. But unfortunately it's, it's not up to me, but if they yeah. want to, I'm, I'm all there for that. And then and with the new series at the moment, there's two books um, guaranteed for that series. And again, yeah. we just wait and see how we go. And that must be exciting and refreshing for you as well to produce a new set of characters, a new storyline um, and you yeah. sit within that new series. Yeah, definitely. And the only challenge that I've sort of faced is because the age groups were a little bit different. The new series yep. is slightly older that often I've been given notes at the same time. So I'm rewriting both series and yep. tonally I've just got to, it's, it's hard got to, to remember. Yeah. My, yeah. my audience is this yeah, age exactly. and now my audience is this age. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the only challenge I have. Otherwise I'm just happy to obviously yeah. happy to have books coming out <laughs> yeah. you know do you have conference. any any aspirations to write like um 
I don't know, older older books for like maybe late high school, middle middle high school students or even um, adult fiction? I, I've never, oh, I would never say never to any of those things. I think young adult, absolutely. But yeah. I haven't yet had the idea that would sustain writing yeah. a young adult book. Um, and again, it does, it comes down to time and also the complexity of your story world and, and yeah, in the time that you've got, how how you can contain that in your head to write it. So if I had the right idea, young adult for sure. Adult, I don't know. I've never necessarily had the desire to write. Yeah. But again, if, if I had the right story. And it, it, it seems like you've got your target audience and you enjoy yeah, writing I, books for that audience. I think because I love books so much as a kid, I'm when I'm writing, I've, I've got myself in my yeah. mind. I'm writing, I'm writing for myself at age, you know, 12 or yeah. whatever and trying to entertain that version of myself. Yeah. And yeah, it works well. Yeah. Do you ever write stories um, just for your son that like that don't get published? You just never write or make up stories? Uh, for, for yeah, definitely make Definitely make up yep. stories. Yeah. But often I'm so, I've been writing all day. I'm fatigued and we're, <laughs> you make up a story. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yep. Well, look, thank, thanks for coming on, Nathan. It was awesome to sort of hear your journey. Um, and it's incredible or the journey you've been on, like from writing, um, writing your books to teaching to screenwriting and all, all the rest of it. Um, quickly before we go, where, where can people find your books? Uh, in all good bookstores yep. um, and <laughs> Cliche, stores. <laughs> but you can also I've got a website which is uh, nathanluff.com.au and you can find out all of my books and there are links to to places where you can get yep. them from there as well are you on social media anyway I am I'm on I'm, I haven't TikToked yet but I am on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram and Facebook yep. yeah as I get older you know it's that thing of it's all too much maybe too when your son's things. a few years old he can show you the world of tiktok yeah that's mate. right explain <laughs> it to him it took a while for someone to try to explain instagram so yeah. i'm getting there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well thanks for coming on mate it was good to have a chat thank you so much for having me